Hey, you found us. Welcome to uh, episode four of Hey, All You Zombies, coming to you through the internet tubes from the secret underground bunkers of uh, Chris Abel, that's the other guy, and me, Richard Krause. Um, Last week, uh, we asked for, um, we do this thing called uh, Pistols at Dawn, Dueling Pistols at Dawn, and we asked for your favorite ticking time bomb uh, uh, clips from movies and, and anything that sort of really grabbed you in that way. And we suggested a couple, which you can vote on. And I don't want to say this, Chris, but I think I came out ahead on this one again this, this week. And I don't understand it. I don't Is get it. it I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why. My clip was from Octopussy, and it had James Bond diffusing not just a ticking bomb, but a ticking atom bomb right. in a clown suit. Well, I mean, okay, you have definitely the novelty factor. Yes. I thought I was going to score with the cool factor. I mean, it's it's Sean Connery as yeah. James Bond. Definitely yeah. most people, most people, I know a few people who argue that Roger Moore is the all-time greatest, but most people say Sean that it makes mm-hmm. the best Bond. And yeah. then you've got Odd Job, uh, you know, and I thought that would finally win me my victory in this long-running game. But uh, no, congratulations, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Once again. Yeah. Um, Be humbled by me. Be (laughs) humbled by me. We will play another round uh, at the end of this episode. And this time around, we've done three semi-serious topics, sort of things that kind of make sense. We're now going to embark on the more goofy uh, kind of choices for movies. I like goofy. Well, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Think facial hair. Just start thinking facial hair right now, and then you'll be ready for it. Um, you know, there's there's been just a lot a lot of weird news this week. Just a lot of weird things in the news. Um, so I thought I would ignore all of it and go for something that's not scientific. It's just a blog post that I found that kind of uh, uh, just made me laugh more than anything else. So what it is, it's essentially uh, your punctuation personality type. So okay. depending on the kind of punctuation that you use frequently in, uh-huh. you know, your blog posts perhaps, or just, you know, on email or whatever, uh, a woman named Leah Peterson has, uh, has made up a scientific study completely just arbitrarily about what she thinks about this. Now, what I find uh, with myself is that when I'm uh, writing emails, particularly, I don't think I tend to use this anywhere else, but when I'm writing emails, I use a lot of exclamation points. And, really? Yeah, and see, I think it came from a long time ago, uh, you know how people always say there's no tone on email. You know, right. like you can send a, a one-line email, which to me on the, the, the sending end sounds completely reasonable. Sounds like, and then you get it on the other end, you're like, ooh, he's mad or he's... Oh, you know, totally, he's, yeah. yeah. So like you could easily, uh, you know, sort of trip yourself up with uh, emails uh, that just don't have the right kind of tone to them. So I have found that an exclamation mark adds a little... To every email, you know, just a little hoo-hoo. So I tend to use them a lot. I tend to use them a lot, uh, even though uh, Elmore Leonard, I, I hosted an event with Elmore Leonard years ago. Um, he wrote Be Cool and, you know, of course, a millionaire. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and I love him. I love him. I love his writing. Writes everything in longhand. He uses Mont Blanc pens. And so he's just a sort of old school, seriously old school guy. But uh, we were just talking uh, afterwards. We were having a drink and talking about just things, you know, the way he writes, the the, the kind of uh, uh, desk that he writes, just all that kind of stuff. And then he imparted me uh, one bit of advice, which, of course, I've chosen to ignore completely. He says, only use one exclamation mark every 100,000 words. <laughs> if I go 10 words in an email without using one, I think I'd be lucky. So um, uh, anyway, Leah Peterson. Hmm. says that the exclamation point that I use so much says about me that I'm excitable and anxious. Uh, you don't self-censor well, and you think that your opinion always matters. So all that stuff might be true. Uh, you use italics a lot in written communication. That is untrue. I never okay. use italics. Uh, you get nervous easily. Not so much. You're often too loud. Possible. That's very possible. And you're either overly affectionate or you're a mean drunk, but you're fun at parties. <laughs> what, it says, what it says about me uh, here. Do you have uh, any exclamation that you tend to use or only uh, I'm, use? I'm really bad, I think, with commas. Because uh, well. uh, I, I tend to, when I'm writing, I'm also sort of speaking in the same right. sense. And I'm trying to evoke 
some of the pauses and I guess the speech patterns that I use in my writing. But grammatically, I know that that's incorrect at times. And so I guess I'm really bad in terms of inserting commas where necessarily they, they, they aren't really needed. Okay, well, that says, uh, then Leah Peterson says about you, you're the peacemaker. You like to help others and you get along with everyone. You like to make sure people understand each other. You like clarity as much as the period type, but unlike him, you don't subscribe to the less is more theory. You believe more information is better than not enough. For this reason, you sometimes confuse others and can become tiresome. I don't think that's true, but in general, you're fun or at least tolerable to be around. If not, you make people think you are. Tolerable to be around. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's uh, a breaking endorsement, isn't it? Yeah. That, that just makes me feel so so warm and funny inside. Oh, that's 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 wonderful. Uh, well, at least you're not an M dash person. Uh, you know, just a that's the longer dash. There's an N dash, which is just sort of one little dash, and then there's okay. the M dash, which is the two, uh, which means you're stuck up and pretentious. Wow. You don't want that. But if you use a lot of parentheses, you're scatterbrained. Uh, ellipsis. I tend to use a lot of ellipsis. The dot dot dot. Sure. Uh, you're indecisive and flighty. You lose your train of thought easily. You're a follower, and this is completely wrong, and you like to let other people take risks. You're often misplaced your keys, never lost my keys ever in my life, or spent 10 minutes looking for the glasses we're already wearing. Not yet. Not yet. That may happen eventually, but not yet. You know, I, the, the one time I got busted with the exclamation mark thing, and it wasn't really the exclamation mark thing so much as it was uh, autocorrect on my thing. So I'm going back and forth with my editor. I had written something, and we were there was a, just a point that we were discussing back and forth. And then eventually we got to the the end of the discussion. It had all ended well for everybody. So I meant to type perfect with an exclamation mark at the end of it and send it off to him. And I'm not exactly sure what happened or what I typed or what, what you know, sort of configuration of letters that I had going on together. But I typed what I thought was perfect, threw an exclamation mark on it, sent it, and as I saw it fly away, I realized that it had autocorrected to pervert with an exclamation mark. <laughs> After that's done, do you go back and go, like, dude, I don't think you're a pervert. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have written that. Or, I don't know exactly how you do that, how you, how you sort of survive that, but anyway. But I think that's, that's kind of a mistake that's going to make the other person laugh. I mean, it's mm. so out there. Yeah. That well, I don't and think and so, like, such a non sequitur. Yeah, like, yeah. why in the middle of this, like, discussion we were having on, you know, semicolon use, am I suddenly going to, you know, yell pervert at him with an exclamation mark? <laughs> well, and before I got into this business, I, I worked for a company where I was involved in customs and um, handling a lot of imports for things, especially involving movie studios, right. DVDs and such like that. And I had to actually testify at one point because there was a government investigation on Paramount in terms of their DVD imports. Right. So I had to write this whole legal document saying that, no, no, everything that Paramount's claiming is correct in terms of how many movies they're bringing into the country, da 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 da, da. And I submitted it, and uh, <laughs> one of the executives at the company, after reading it, handed it off to somebody else to rewrite because she felt it was too emotional. Really? And I, Yeah, and, and nobody understood what that she really meant by that. It got handed around the office. People read it. You know, it, it was very technical right. by nature, but just... Perhaps it was an early sign of the writer that was within me. Yeah. Something about the way that I wrote it and expressed things and described things that it just came across as being a little too literary. And so people wow. actually tried to figure out a way to kind of remove whatever I had done to the document. Yeah, just suck the, figure out a way to suck the guts out of it and send it off. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it just goes to show that there is something to analyzing people's handwriting, analyzing the way that people compose, because it does, you do embed a, a certain amount of your own personality and quirks into it. Oh, absolutely. Listen, look at, you know, go to your Facebook page or go to your, your you know, uh, Twitter feed, which, you know, neither of those things by any means are actual writing. I, I would actually, I would argue that maybe Twitter has more to do with real writing occasionally when it's done properly than Facebook does because you've got such a limited amount of characters that you have to really define what you want to say and figure out the, the easiest and most effective way to say it. Right. And, you know, they always say, like, it's one thing for me to uh, sit down and 
write a 10,000-word a, a review about Prometheus. I can do that, but it's harder to sit down and write a 100-word review and have it mean something and have the, you know, there's that sure. old story about the French writer who uh, um, writes a, a long 20-page letter to a friend of his, and then his PS is at the end of it, uh, sorry I didn't have time to write you a shorter letter, which means sorry I didn't have time to actually think about what I was going to say, process it a little bit, and then boil it down into the, to the salient points. Right. You know, and, and so I would argue that maybe Twitter is better for that, but that's a discussion for another day. What I was going to say is you can really tell, though, I mean, I get a real sense of, of people. I have a lot of Facebook friends that I've never met, um, you know, being on TV, you probably do too. You get these people that just, you know, want to, and, and, and everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome at my cool. site, unless you're spewing uh, hate. You can, yeah. you're, you're more than allowed to, to, uh, to chime in. And I don't really care what you post, as long as it's interesting. And, and, but for these people, you know, after you've read a number of their posts, you really do get a sense of probably what they're like or, you know, mm. what their moods are. And, if you, and it, it, is, it's, it is kind of interesting for me to sort of scroll down through and even for people that I've never met, probably maybe never will meet, I do find it interesting just to have a look and see what they're saying on a day-by-day -day basis. And so it's, you do kind of get caught up in the lives a little bit. of Oh, completely. And in this industry, there's often a lot of chat about demographics, about boiling your audience down to certain stereotypes, getting that glimpse on Facebook where you can see that, you know, everybody has quirks. Everybody yeah. has little strange things about them that make them who they are and, and definitely, you know, people will sign up and be a friend of yours on Facebook and then forget the fact that Richard Krause is, right. has access to all this content. And right. so you are really getting that, that pure glimpse into some people's lives and some of the, their own strange personalities and humors. And it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, well, it's funny, too. You know, I have a, a YouTube channel, uh, Richard Krause Movies. Go check it out if you're around. And so what I do on that is I post uh, the interviews, mostly it's interviews, that I have um, recorded for the print work that I do. So other phone interviews and some in-person interviews and things that I use as the basis of articles that I write. Sure. Um, but I turn them into little videos and put them on there if anyone's interested in sort of having a, a listen to the real uncensored uh, uh, interview. And the Robert Pattinson stuff, of course, has gotten an enormous amount of hits, right, from last yeah. week when I hosted the event with them. And then the next day when I did the 101 interview, I posted all that stuff. And uh, in the last week, it's gotten 10,000 and some odd hits, which for I've only, I only set up the site a few weeks ago. And I right, think before yeah. I put the, the Pattinson stuff on, it had like 3,000 hits. Now it's got, you know, an enormous amount. But I, got, I looked at the analytics of it all. And it was kind of interesting to see where the hits were coming from. Oh, yeah. I would, I would have assumed that it would be uh, to find, you know, now, granted, I put tags on all the interviews and stuff, so I guess if you're surfing around, you'll find it. But I would have thought, okay, well, it's people that know me from television or read something that I wrote about it that would sort of search out my particular, uh, uh, you know, YouTube channel, my site sure. on YouTube. So look for it. Not at all, man. It's 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 Spain and Italy and and uh, all the comments came from the United States and it was just it was a, a random kind of uh, a look at something that I don't really think about too much. I don't think about the sort of the more global kind of uh, mm -hmm. repercussions of it all. And I don't actually, you know, sometimes when I do engage people on Facebook, you know, again, if they're people that I don't know, um, you know, I, I, I it, it takes three or four sort of back and forth. Uh, for me to realize, oh, you're writing to me from Wales right now. Sure, you yeah. Know, that kind of thing, which is, I, I find, I, I think it's really kind of trippy. I, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the, the, the access, the instantaneous access uh, that, that we have. Although I was also blown away that fax machines work, too. So that's, you know, <laughs> how can I send a letter and they get it immediately on the other end? I don't understand it. Mm. Um, well, what I wanted to share this week, I just came back from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I had flown out there for a couple of days uh, for Apple's latest event to kind of cover it. But every time I go to San Francisco, if I'm lucky, I can get about two to three hours to kind of go off and explore the city itself. Right. And it's kind of an amazing thing that has happened in San Francisco because you have this uh, combination of artists who have arrived there to be creative in that city, but also uh, this huge expansion of technology where you have companies like Apple, yeah. Google, all these movie special effects. And so the result is you have a lot of creative people there who have really well-paid jobs and have a lot yeah. of uh, excess cash that they can kind of use to indulge in their lifestyle. And being people of very eclectic tastes 
and very uh, strange sort of interests, you get this huge ecosystem that emerges in the city where you have, it's just lots and lots of very strange shops offering very strange and unusual things. I love so that. For me, that's my, my best way to spend my two hours right. is to try to hit as many of those shops as I can, try to find them and explore them. Um, and I could be here all day. I mean, there, there's literally, there's, there's about 30 to 40 different shops that are just little tiny adventures of themselves. Right. I'm going to talk about one area of San Francisco, which is uh, Valencia Street. Mm -hmm. And the first store that I like there is uh, the Pirate Supply Store. And so the Pirate Supply Store, the concept is that it's, it's a store for pirates and buccaneers to come in and get the latest supplies that they need. And this is different from going to, say, a tourist shop that is pirate-themed. Okay? Yeah, or going to Malabar's or something like a costume shop and renting a, a, a hat and an eye patch. Yeah. No, this is this is actually. I mean, what it is is it's in reality it's the offices for a publishing company called McSweeney's, right. and they decided to do something that is is quite smart, which they thought they would take a section of their building and turn it into a study place where students right. can come in for free and get tutoring, uh, make it a writing center, pr promote literacy. But the problem that they ran into was that the building that they they took over uh, is zoned for retail, and they were going to get uh. kicked out unless they could prove that it was also a retail store. So just to meet those bureaucratic requirements, they created a fake front on the building where they created this fake pirate store. And so you're not getting, you know, mugs or shot glasses that have been screened with little pirate, you know, skull and bones or anything like that. No, they actually used their imagination and said, okay, if, if real pirates were to come in here, what kind <laughs> well, of thing? They want. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's an actual, you know, place like a movie set. When you walk in, it's a, you know, it's a store, but it's made up of wood and canvas and rope and uh, parchment. They have signs in the front door that tell you to, to tie up your parrot before you enter. Uh, when you get in, there's a barrel on the side that's just full of peg legs. There's another barrel that's full of planks. And these are all things, because of that bureaucratic requirement, they actually will sell you. If, you, <laughs> if you're willing to go and buy it, they, they have to sell it to you. And so they've been very creative. They have an entire cabinet that has lots of bottles, like things like uh, uh, dye for your pirate's beard. Uh, they have uh, bait if you want to go off and capture mermaids. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an entire tin can that says it's a bucket of blood. Very unusual and strange stuff. Uh, but also fun. Uh, there's a mirror you can go over and try on different types of beards. Um, all sorts of cool stuff. Because it is a literary center and they're trying to attract students, they have lots of um, educational aspects to the store as well. So for kids who come in, there's a large um, sand shaker or sand mixer, and it's full of sand, but hidden inside is buried treasure. So kids can, go, kids can go digging in to try to find buried treasure. And when you find it, the rule is, in order to keep that buried treasure, you now have to barter the way that pirates would. Oh, that's funny. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so little kids are, have to go up and talk to the staff, and they either have to tell a pirate joke mm -hmm. or do a song, do a dance, or help out in the store. So um, while I was there, there was one kid who didn't feel like dancing or singing, so the staff gave him a bunch of locks to go and try to figure out how to unlock. And if he could unlock the locks, <laughs> then he could walk off with his little piece of treasure. Wow. Um, and it, it's an amazing place. What's great about it is they found out that, uh, I mean, there was never any intention of selling this stuff. It was just merely right. putting stuff up on the shelves, making this laugh, you know, sort of laughing at the bureaucracy of the whole thing and, you know, going from there. But... San Francisco being such a strange and unusual place, they actually had people coming in and buying these products. I mean, they're buying nice. peg legs and things, yeah. Yeah, and the store now makes enough money to actually cover the lease of the building and help contribute towards the writing classes, which is just That's phenomenal. That's hilarious. So I couldn't help when I was there but buy a few things. So I'll show you. Uh, sure enough, they had a stand where you can get pirate patches. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. And what's nice about this, it's, you know, these are well-crafted. This is not you know like... What? That, that patch suits you. That patch yeah. suits you. Yeah, it looks good in here. Yeah. Well, they had two styles. You could get it with an elastic band, or you mm -hmm. can get the kind that tie up. And yeah. then also, they have them in different colors. So right. if you're going out to a pirate party, they have yeah. lavender, they have silver, that kind of thing. Uh, naturally, I couldn't leave the shop unless I got myself a little pirate chest. Oh, yes. 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 And really and good there's price. Treasure. It sounds like there's treasure in it. Yeah. Yes. Now, another store, as I said, like if you went to a tourist shop, they would sell like chocolate-covered coins. No, they have doubloons. <laughs> so they actually offer 
doubloons. These were 75 cents each. I got one of each type. Very cool little place. Um, and lots of other tricks. I'm going to post a video on our website where yeah. Dave Eggers gives a talk about it and talks a little bit more about the store and some of the other stores that it has inspired as well. Right, and that'll be on heyouzombies.com. Correct, yes. Yes. Uh, and that way you can see a little bit more of the place. Uh, let's see if I've got one of the, the photos I wanted to show. So here's a, a selection of um, signage that they would have up. Oh, so yeah. Things like eye patches for every occasion. And right, no parrots. Uh, <laughs> we even have a, a little theater in the, in the place. When you walk in, the theater is um, a large aquarium. Right. Pirates who are, you know, missing the sea can sit down and watch. Okay. What else would they want to watch is uh, fish. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic store. Uh, and right next to it, Valencia has become a very special street because they have all sorts of shops that are like this. Right. Is uh, one of my all-time favorite stores. It's called Paxton Gate. And originally, Paxton Gate was set up to be uh, a landscaping operation. But again, uh, you know, you just keep running into all these eclectic, weird and strange people and the kind of taste that they have. So they now cater to oddities and eccentricities from the natural sciences and gardens. Wow. So in the back room, and I'll see if I can pull up uh, a photo here. Do, 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 do. Yeah, here's a good example. So what we're looking at here is one of their display cases. And yeah. you can find uh, skeletons. You can find ammonites fossils that they offer. Uh, they also have a, a room in the back that offers uh, the weirdest garden I've ever seen, <laughs> full of carnivorous plants. Wow. Uh, yeah, and there was a guy buying, uh, uh, I think it's a fishing plant, a pitcher plant, and the, the, the staff was telling him, you know, all you have to do is put this in your backyard. You don't have to feed it bugs. It will naturally find the bugs and eat it for you. So you're all wow. cool. Amazing, amazing shop. Uh, lots of taxidermy. For some reason, taxidermy right. is very popular in San Francisco. Lots of places have it. They even have... Uh, is that they, a unicorn? They have yeah. a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Wow. Uh, and naturally, I couldn't help myself but pick up a few things from there. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the great thing about this is that I got to outlive two fantasies at the same time. I got to be a pirate in one mm -hmm. store, walk in, leave, come into another store, and now I'm a wizard, buying all my yeah. unusual ingredients for various things. So, the, And they have just piles of, of odd stuff. So the first thing I'm going to show you here is this. This is the quill from an African porcupine. Wow. That yeah. is intense. Wow. wow. That's big. <laughs> they had an entire, like, vase, and it was just <laughs> full of these. And you can get them for $2.50 each. Right. Uh, they had uh, lots of little bowls that were full of... Um, like um, the claws off of coyotes, for example, uh, tortoise, sh tortoise shells that you can pick up, uh, the skulls of, uh, of, of reptiles were available right. in large little bundles, all these kind of things. I picked up these, which are the tail feathers of a military parrot. <laughs> well, so they're camouflage. Is that what makes them a military uh they're camouflage colors. Yeah. No, they had um, a, a real parrot, so they had also feathers from macaws. Wow. From all sorts of exotic birds. And just to be clear, this did not come from a dead bird. This was right. not a bird that had been hunted. Uh, they, the store has a partnership with bird sanctuaries that exist outside of San uh. Francisco, where they take birds that are endangered or have been hurt, uh, look after them, of course, in the course of a, uh, of a bird's life. They actually lose some feathers. So right. they gather those feathers, and then they sell them at the shop, and then people like me buy it. The money goes towards supporting the birds. Are, are you? It seems like you're collecting. Are you building your own weird creature over there? You're <laughs> a <laughs> I'm spiky feathered beast that will uh, appear well, on Hail You Zombies episode six. You know, there might happen. I mean, if you look behind my shoulder there, I also yeah. picked up this poster, and it's just full of all the various plumes uh, and different types of feathers and birds. Right. Uh, they have. I was wondering what that was because it kind of looks like bananas or something. Like I can kind of see. But now I see that they're totally feathers, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but I wanted to I wanted to make sure that when I left that I walked away with something really, really strange. Right. And they I mean they've got some pretty bizarre stuff. They're, I could have come home with a pickled shark if I wanted to. Uh, they had little tiny keychain jars that you could buy that had one wet tentacle inside <laughs> that you, <laughs> you could bring wow. home. The the thing I really wanted to get but I didn't really have enough money to cover it was that you could get um a replica of a megalodon shark's tooth. Ooh. So not just a great white, but they have those. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, there was one thing I, I, I really uh, felt I had to bring home. 
I had been looking at it for a long time and, and had been deciding whether this was something I really wanted to purchase or not, but I just wanted something that was a thing in a box, very strange. If anyone happens to be going through my, oh, hold on, there we go. If anybody happens to be going through my, my belongings, that this might give them a bit of a shock. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to tilt the webcam down so you can see the, the box. Yeah. And I'll lift it open. Oh! Are those eye cufflinks? These, no, these are eyes. Uh, these are the eyes of a wolf. What? So what we're looking at here, uh, they're not real. They're actually right. made of glass. Yeah. Uh, and these would have been used for taxidermy. If someone had, was preparing a, a wolf to, to stuff it and put it in their home, you could actually buy these eyeballs and put them in to kind of give them that lifelike look. Wow. Uh, I just wanted to have a set of eyes that were in a box. Well, these look... Uh, it makes a wolf look like they're surprised. You know, their yeah. eyes are like, what? Yeah. You're going to do what? Oh, man. When you don't wow. have eyelids, uh, yeah, totally. You're going to look a little kind of well, shocked. You know what's funny? You've got the, you've got your uh, your wolf eyes there. I have on my ring here. Let me show oh, you. Yeah, that's right. on, yeah, on my ring, that's a real glass eye that's on my ring. And um, this was made for me by the guy that makes all the Keith Richards jewelry, a guy called Crazy Pig in uh, England. And uh, I've worn it for, I don't know how long, I, you know, 15 years or something like that. And there's not a mark on the thing. The rest of the ring is bashed up, and there's a lot of wear. There's a lot of patina on it. But the, 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 the eye itself has not a single mark on it. This thing has been bashed around. It's been left. And so I don't know what they're made of. That's my, my point yeah. is, what kind of weird otherworldly substance are these made of? I'll show you with that. Oh, that's creepy and weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I can go, oh! Like but they're not like the contact lenses that you can get. No, yeah. Right. That, that was fantastic. And again, you know, it didn't cost me a lot of money. It was about $20 for the pair. Well, wow. pair of wolf eyes. That's a bargain at twice the price. Yeah. And, I mean, they're, they're crazy, the shops that are out there. There's another one called Loved It to Death, which features lots of uh, strange taxidermy. So right. you might have a pair of ravens that are in Victorian clothes playing checkers with, with each right, other right, in a little right. tiny dollhouse, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's a guy uh, in Ontario somewhere who makes, uh, I don't know, like they, they, well, they, he, he takes animals, I think they're real animals, uh, and stitches them together. So he makes like two-headed chickens and things like that. And, oh, and wow. stuffs them. And, and, it, and they're for sale. You see them every now and again. If you go to like the Fan Expo in, in August, he'll have a booth there. And, uh, I mean, as amazing as these things are, I'm not really sure that I won't want them sitting right there. No. But they are cool. I'm trying to, to, to sort of wrap my head. When I was going through these shops and deciding, okay, what is it that I'm going to be comfortable having yeah, <laughs> in my yeah, home. Yeah, yeah. Taxidermy is not something that I have yet kind of crossed that barrier to understand it. Well, having, because you know what happens is they come alive at night, and that's uh, the problem. While you're sleeping, they, you know. <laughs> Well, Paxton Gate, in addition to having this store that's devoted to um, things that you can get from animals and skeletons and fossils and carnivorous plants and all sorts of strange stuff, they have a second store that's right next door. So after the pirate shop, right. after sort of the wizard shop, you can now go to Paxton Gate's Curiosities for Kids, <laughs> and it's a shop that's devoted to um, not just sort of unusual things for kids, but also vintage toys right. as well. So they have some of the classic uh, Robbie the Robot robots. They would have a little basket full of uh, pieces of meteorite that you could pick right. up, you know, volcano kits and things like that. Uh, what I picked up while I was there was a robotic shadow puppet. Oh, cool. That's very cool. Uh, and the, there's even a little tiny lever at the yeah, back yeah, so I can make yeah. his meter go back and forth. And he can kind of dance. That's excellent. Yeah, very, very cool. <laughs> well, that's quite a trip to San Francisco. Yes. And I've been to San Francisco a few times. I've, ne I've never gone to Valencia Street. I, I generally tend to, uh, like, uh, try and find some of the locations where they shot the chase scene from Bullet. You know, things like that. Right approach things a little differently when I'm there. Yeah, but, uh, uh, well, I wanted to talk about uh, movies. And, you know, people often wonder uh, how actors and directors work together. And, you know, David Cronenberg, a little while ago, um, when I interviewed him a, a week or so ago for Cosmopolis, was saying, well, you know, I don't think that people really understand the creative process that actors go through uh, or directors, for that matter. And, you know, I think 
I was asking some kind of pointed questions about, you know, creating the characters in the movie and stuff. And I think that was his firm but pleasant way of saying, I can't really explain it to you. And even if I could, you probably wouldn't understand it. But right. I thought about that a little bit. And I found this letter that uh, Gene Wilder wrote to uh, director Mel Stewart. And he directed Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was so interesting. Uh, Gene Wilder, of course, ended up playing Willy Wonka in, like, quite memorably, I thought, in that movie. Sure, yeah. And um, so he's just written, it's, it's actually two letters that he's written here, um, just with some character advice. And so it was his idea, uh, you know when you first meet Willy Wonka and he walks in and he's got a, he's got a cane and he walks in and then he, he falls and does the somersault and he's, you know, he's all right again. And Gene Wall, that was Gene Wilder's idea. That wasn't in the script. And uh, um, he says, I start to fall forward. And just before I hit the ground, I do a beautiful forward somersault and bounce back up to great applause. And then the director said, well, why would you want to do that? He goes, because from that time on, no one will know whether I'm lying or telling the truth. And oh, it's, such right. a great, it's such a great little character thing. Like my favorite things in movies quite often are the things that shine a light or illuminate character traits without any dialogue, without someone having to say, well, you know, that Willy Wonka, you can never tell whether he's lying or telling the truth. Right. So I like, I like things that, that tell you, that speak volumes without using words. That is a great example of that. And uh, that was Wilder's idea. And then, of course, he wrote a long letter, and I won't uh, read the whole thing, but he wrote a long letter about uh, the costumes in the movie. And uh, he uh, just had some great lines. He uh, uh, talks about uh, slime green trousers are icky, but sand-colored trousers are just as unobtrusive uh, for your camera, but tasteful. I just like the word, use the word icky in this. Uh, the hat is terrific, but making it two inches shorter would make it more special. That's kind of how detailed uh, Gene Wilder was with this. And, of course, you know, he, he uh, created this very memorable character, and it's the culmination of all these little details that go into creating one larger whole. And that's what I thought was, was kind of fascinating about this. You can find this uh, on a website called Letters of Note. And oh, if cool. you look through this, this website, you will find that they uh, have incredible letters. There's a, a letter that uh, Phil Hartman wrote to a, a person who had written to him looking for advice on how to become a comedian. And it's really heartfelt and quite wonderful. And the, the website is just jam-packed with these letters. But uh, this one from uh, Gene Wilder uh, really grabbed me, um, you know, uh, just because of the, the amount of detail and the sort of the, the ballet or the, the, the back and forth that these two had. I, I, I find it fascinating. Sure. Well, I mean, we often hear um, these, these stories that get passed around that guys, actors like Robert De Niro might wear silk underwear, even though That's the right. audience isn't going to know it. He's wearing it for his character. And you often hear of, of actors trying to emulate that. But I think that what's missing, and maybe what David Kroberg was trying to get across, was the context right. that that letter really explains. I mean, somebody might say, well, you know, Gene Wilder, it was his idea to do this pratfall, but not carry forward why Gene yeah. had chosen to do that. And why does it work? And, and, and how does it enhance the movie? I mean, you can do any number of little bits of business. You know, you can, you can throw in a little bit of business that doesn't mean anything, uh, but it entertains the eye for a second. Look, I'm doing this. Hey, it's making you laugh a little bit. But it doesn't actually, you know, add no. much more to it than raise a smile, which is okay sometimes. But, you know, things like that. Like, I, I, I think that I always loved that scene where he falls and then he does the, the somersault. Sure. And I was never really sure why I liked it. I mean, it's a fun, it's an amusing enough scene. But right. it really, I, I knew it had resonance. I knew it had a deeper meaning uh, somehow. And I, I, I do feel like I thought that it set up something more about his character. But to hear Wilder say it in that way, I thought it was really yeah. quite fascinating. It makes complete sense. You know, I mean, the... You know, I, and I guess from, a, from an actor's point of view, like Gene Wilder, he was probably looking at it as being a problem. How do I express yeah. that this man who you're going to see on television or on the screen is not somebody who's always going to seem to be what he really is? He's right. always going to, you know, there's, there's got to be some unreliableness there, and how do I get that across? Yeah, and, and, uh, and that's a brilliant way of doing it. Without, uh, like in a lesser movie or a lesser actor, 
might have just there, there would have they would have had to insert a speech. You know, you can never trust that man. He doesn't always tell the truth. You know, so well, I love it. And, but I don't have a great deal to say about it. Just Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder, I think, is one of the great kind of nowadays forgotten comedians. And you know, people uh, know the producers, but when they think of the producers these days, I think they think of the Broadway show or they think of the more recent movie uh, with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. Uh, you know, Young Frankenstein crops up every now and again on television. Young Frankenstein is a work of genius. Oh, the I agree. The putting on the Ritz dance number with uh, Gene Wilder and the monster at Peter Boyle is one of the greatest things ever. Uh, but I, you know, he was such a creative force in the you know late '60s and, and '70s, and, and into the '80s with you know, the Silver Street movies and things. But then, you know, sort of just became more known, I think, because I, he he retired, I guess, but became more known for being. Uh, Gilda Radner's widow, or you know, widower, than than being you know this genius actor and comedian. I mean, look at him and his scene with in uh, everything you ever wanted to know about sex, uh, with the with the sheep with the little garter on. Yeah, you know, there's very few actors that I would want to see attempt to do that scene. And <laughs> now he's fantastic, uh, and I think part of it might be that uh, in the world of comedy, you had this. Um, invasion of a lot of stand-up comics. And yeah. So people today, when they talk about comics, they're talking about emulating the comics from you know the 1980s and right. the late 70s, forgetting that there's also this wonderful legacy of comedic actors as well. Yeah. As well. Uh, and not just people like Tater Sellers, but Gene Wilder. Uh, you're, you're quite right. He's very, very brilliant. Yeah, very brilliant. And, and sadly, kind of underrated these days, I think. I, you know, listen, rent Young Frank or stream it or however you want to watch it. And, and, and check out Young Frankenstein if you haven't seen it, because it's really funny. And it's funny, like, and there's another guy in that movie, Marty Feldman. Marty Feldman, uh, I, I don't know why I didn't think of it when you brought out your, your wolf eyes, because, <laughs> you know, he, he was known for having really prominent bulgy eyes. Right. And he was a British comedian. Look him up on YouTube. There's a thousand YouTube clips of his. And he used to do uh, a lot of silent stuff. It would just be uh, um, him doing these little silent comedic uh, uh, sketches that would air on the BBC or whatever. They're all on YouTube. Check them out. Very funny. And he plays, of course, Igor. Uh, not Igor, but Igor in Young Frankenstein. And he's hysterically funny. Cool. Um, well, let's see, in terms of revealing uh, the behind-the-scenes craft, I can't really talk to movies, but I can talk about something that's going to be launching uh, next week at the Royal Ontario Museum. I got a chance to check out uh, the next big dinosaur exhibit that the museum is right. going to do unveil. Dinosaurs are huge. Uh, you know, whenever a museum is going to unveil new ones, it's, it's just something that's going to resonate across the country. You're going to have lots and lots of kids. But what's nice about it is that this time around, they're doing more than just the typical exhibit. They are bringing in new skeletons. Um, but these are real. Like, these are actual dinosaur skeletons. These aren't... Well, uh, these are going to be castings of, of, of dinosaur right. skeletons. I know. Uh, when I was a little kid, it's a great disappointment to learn that the actual skeletons that are out on the, the floor are merely castings right. of the fossils. The real skeletons are kept behind the scenes uh, to keep them protected. But it's not that you're being robbed from the experience because, of right. course, they are identical in shape and form. Uh, but these are new skeleton, uh, skeletons in the sense that they're exploring a different aspect of dinosaur evolution. Um, dinosaurs, for most of the dinosaurs that we know, come from a time in which the world was just one big, large continent. Right. As a result, evolution gave us huge, massive animals. Um, not like today. Today we have this tremendous diversity. There's like 650 million insects in the world today. But when you look back, uh, there was only a couple of hundred different types of dinosaurs. Right. So what they're looking at is a point in our history in which the large continent sort of began to separate. And we right. had different areas that would eventually go off and become Africa and Australia and North America. And during that time, evolution took a very interesting twist. And you have really strange and unusual dinosaurs. Dinosaurs with faces like crocodiles and <laughs> massive. And there's actually a dinosaur there called Gigantosaurus that's going to be put on display. That's considered that doesn't dinosaur. sound like a real dinosaur name to me. That sounds, no. uh, yeah. that well, sounds like something a six-year-old made up. Completely. I'll call him Gigantosaurus. <laughs> exactly. Like a Saturday morning hey, cartoon kind of thing? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, but what they're doing uh, this time around uh, to kind of help you understand, because one of the issues is you go there, you see these wonderful bones and skeletons, right. but it, you don't have a reference to understand what the animal actually looked like. 
Right. Sometimes they might have a little, you know, pencil drawing, but that's not really going to do it. So they're actually tapping into technology and using apps and iPads and oh. iPhones to do that. I had a chance to meet the uh, the Techie Geek app. It's something that you can take with you when you leave the, the, the uh, museum, download it on your phone, and they will have posters that are going to be up around the museum, but also on bell shelters. And when you point your phone at that poster, you'll actually have dinosaurs come alive, leap <laughs> out at you, try to wow. eat you, growl. Uh, my favorite, and this is something that uh, the technology itself is called augmented reality. And I've seen it in many different forms. To me, it's, it's kind of old hat by now. So right. I've seen so many different apps that do this. But what they've done that I haven't seen anywhere else is they've actually created uh, a floor version. You've got these big, massive markers that sit on the floor. And when you point your camera at it, it can create a life-size version of the dinosaur. So right. generally when you have these kinds of programs, they create little desktop-sized dinosaurs. This one's going to make one so that it's large enough that you get the sensation that you're standing in front of this beast and it's looking down at you. In fact, what you can do is if you've got a friend there, you can actually take a photograph. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see if I can pull it up here. There it is. This is one that they took. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's terrified. Gigantosaur is coming at you. Yeah, completely. And it's just, it's amazing to sit there because um, it's not just an image, it's also an animated sequence. So you can hear the dinosaur breathing. Uh, it's very intimidating. And you're looking through your camera and just having to take your phone and go up and up and up. You know, it's like you see uh, feet and the yeah. knees, the belly, the elbows, and ah, wow. a large mouth full of teeth. It's just wow. fantastic. So and when does all this start? Pardon? When does all this start? Uh, this starts next, uh, I think it's uh, June 23rd. Right. The app itself uh, will be available tomorrow that you can download and start looking for bus shelter ads and uh, any kind of posters that the museum has up around the city. Um, but it's, I think it's going to be a fantastic experience. I've been very privileged and fortunate to be able to have a relationship with the museum because they allow me to come in and see these things behind right. the scenes. One of my greatest experiences when I first uh, sort of teamed up with the ROM was that they took me behind scenes to their paleontology department where they keep all the bones being stored. Uh, and so I just saw racks and racks and racks of beautiful dinosaur <laughs> bones. I got to stick my head into the, the mouth of one of the big right, dinosaurs. Right, right. That was awesome. Uh, and at that time, they had just found the oldest set of dinosaur eggs on the planet. Wow. Uh, and they would have been the oldest eggs of all time that were on the planet. They had been uh, found in China, and some museums were fortunate enough to get one clutch of eggs. But the problem is that the whole eggs were still embedded in the rock. And so while I was visiting, I was in their room, and I could see uh, their curators with little tiny drills slowly chipping away the excess rock to try to bring these fossilized eggs uh, out of them. And they were hoping that there might be embryos that wow. they could still extract. Yeah, beautiful. They showed it to me, and here I am holding in my hands these eggs that are more than 200 million years old. Wow. Beautiful moment to, to hold and just try to wrap my head around it, and I couldn't. I mean, you know, it's not yeah. like going into an antique store where they've got something that's 150 years old. 200 million wow. years old. It's, it's just impossible to fathom. But it's, too, it's too bad you didn't have your wolf eyes. You could have impressed them with your... Uh, <laughs> you're not the only one with uh, some cool animal parts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that doesn't really go over well with that kind of a group. They have access to some really, really cool stuff. Yeah. I'm just a pretender when I have little yeah. things like that in my home. But what I loved about that at the end of the day, because I was so, uh, you know, you just almost suffer a kind of blindness. You're, right. you're walking in, and you just don't know where to look, and they're showing you one thing, they're showing you the next, that you don't notice what's going on around you. You don't notice right. what you're doing. And while I was being shown these, these eggs, I had set my backpack down without realizing where I'd put it. And when I got home, I realized it had been covered uh, in the dust from all these dinosaur bones. Wow. And so I thought that was an awesome little adventure yeah. to have. Uh, that there I am, like Indiana Jones, coming home, and I'm brushing yeah. the dust. But it's, it's, it's dinosaur it's dust. It's dinosaur dust. Wow, that is cool. Um, uh, are we ready to duel? Yes. So uh, we'll do this week's uh, movie pistols at dawn. Uh, Richard and I are going to be dueling uh, this time. Uh, we're looking for the best beard in the movies. And actually, if you can, pull up uh, Google Effects and we'll... Oh, yes, 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 yes. Let's see um, what we got here. I'm going to make it to this one. 
Oh, you're, you're that's sort of like uh, you're kind of looking the uh, the sort of the beatnik style. Yeah, I feel uh, like I should be delivering poetry. Yeah, I'm going to go. Oh, nice. I, I think I'm going to go for more something a little more, uh, <laughs> you know, a little more dignified, perhaps. Um, you know, I, I tell you, uh, you know, beards. Uh, the obvious one here to go for would be Chuck Norris in any number of his things. You know, Chuck Norris's beard is so cool; it's got a fist of its own. All that. What's behind Chuck's beard? Chuck Norris's beard. Another fist. There's all those jokes. I'm not going <laughs> to go there, though, for mine. Mine, I've chosen someone who I think out Chuck Norris's Chuck Norris. Really? Okay, you, that's pretty heavy what you're saying there. It is. Clint Eastwood. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's not the biggest beard. It's not, the, it's not a long, you know, showy, like, oh, look at me kind of beard. Yeah, this yeah. is a beard that's just as big as it needs to be. It's the beard with no name. That the character, the man with no name, uh, has, and you know, I'll tell you, the, you know, he, he, Clint back in those movies, the spaghetti westerns, he made, the good, bad, and the ugly, you know, all those. Um, to me, was as cool as he ever was on screen. I know people love Dirty Harry and they liked it, but back in those days, he was so uh, uh, just sort of menacing in his way. He was so kind of unknowable. That character was, and I think that the beard, uh, you know, was had something to do with that. The beard was a little. Uh, a, a trim yet menacing uh, kind of uh, uh, manifestation of what he was all about. And the, for me, good, the bad, and the ugly, that beard is uh, the best beard in movie history. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I have to admit, I often think back to the uh, 1970s and the 1960s in terms right. of the male heroes of that time. Yeah. And a lot of them kind of find the manliness in a very quiet way. Right. You know, it was almost like a competition at that time between, say, Clint Eastwood or Charles Bronson, where you could do a movie and have very few lines, and it was just more about just being alive, the yeah. presence, the steely look in your eye, that yeah. kind of thing. Although I have to say, I, while I was in San Francisco, I had a chance to check out the new um, Clint Eastwood reality TV show. Oh, yeah. Now, Clint doesn't really appear in it, though. Like, he, he does walkthroughs every now and again, right? Yeah, every, just to make sure in every episode they always have a phone call from him. So that really? He checks in. Yes. He calls in and he checks <laughs> like, in. With get off my lawn. <laughs> and it's, it's like uh, watching it is so rough because it really is kind of like the Kardashians or Jersey yeah, Shore, but yeah. with uh, Clint's family. And, you know, I hear it's, it's changed completely how I look at him because it's, it's no longer – now he seems very shallow. <laughs> oh, no. Very See, materialistic. It's not I, a good thing. Oh, no. That's too bad. I, you know, I met Clint uh, in December. And okay. the, the movie J. Edgar was coming out. And I went to uh, a cocktail party that uh, was thrown just before the screening in New York for this. We're in a small room. Uh, there's maybe 100 people there. But – of those hundred people, uh, David Byrne was one of them. So I'm standing in the corner going, hey, Jesus, David Byrne over there. And uh, like some of the 60 Minutes people, Steve Croft from 60 Minutes was there. Uh, Alan Cumming, the actor, was there. There were a number of, of famous, not only famous New Yorkers, but just sort of generally famous people. And I'm looking around going, that was a pretty good little party. And then Clint walked in. And the thing that was crazy is that Clint was with Leonardo DiCaprio when they walked through the door. Right. And the weight in the room shifted, for one thing. Like, it just it was as, as though the room tilted towards the door when Clint came in. And, you know, Leo is a great actor and uh, an enormously uh, uh, famous person. Everyone was looking at Clint. It's, right. There's something about this guy. There's the star power that has uh, sustained him for a 50-year career was really, really, for me, obvious at the moment he walked in the room. Sure. And, uh, and the, that party became about him. And it was interesting because he's not boisterous. He's not loud. He had a glass of red wine. He was wearing a knit golf shirt and uh, quietly spoke to people, shook a few people's hands and quietly spoke to people. There was nothing ostentatious about him that night anyway, yeah. but it was very clear that the big man was in the room, in a room full of famous people. You know? Yeah, well, and he's a fantastic movie star, and he's yeah. turned into an incredible filmmaker. I mean, yeah. I think the best from the U.S., and that alone is just you have to have incredible um, respect for him. 
just don't watch the Eastwood reality TV series. I will, I will that never will watch just go that right show. out the window very fast. I will never watch this show. My uh, yeah, <laughs> my choice uh, in terms of what I think is the the beer that really captures my imagination is the mutton chops. Uh, mutton chops are just weird. I mean, where you shave off the, the front half of your face, but you've got a lot of uh, carpeting the bush, on either yeah, side. The side yeah. uh, most of the time when you think of mutton chops, you think of uh, Wolverine, of course, from yeah. the X-Men. And those are awesome. For some reason, he makes mutton chops look very, very, very cool. Well, I think of Charles Lawton often, you know, like sort of in, in the, the, I think, uh, Mutiny on the Bounty, the, the original, he had big mutton chops on the side sure. of his face. But they tend to kind of look goofy, and, and mm -hmm. that's why I chose, uh, for my choice here, I'm going to go up, uh, there we go. Oh, yeah, Sean Connery, Sean Michael King. Yeah. Yes, the man who would be king. And I, I just, it's, Sean Connery is the kind of guy who can pull off, I think, any beard. Every time I've seen him in a movie, he's got a fantastic beard. You think of Highlander, and yet this one, for some reason, just looks comical on him. I Michael Caine's got something going on there, too. I mean, they're not mutton chops, really, but those are really intense uh, sideburns he has there. Yeah, I, I, and I don't understand how it sort of, you know, fits with the period of the time. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's more reflective of when the movie was made right. than rather when the story took place. Right. But I, I love that, you know, I think if you're going to have mutton chops, definitely you have to have, like, the blackest eyebrows to kind of go right. with them. For some well, those, reason... The, those eyebrows look more like uh, a life form. They look like giant mutant caterpillars crawling yeah. across his face. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fantastic. So well, I have to say that of all the beards that I've seen on, on movies, that's the one that uh, just cracks me up every time I look at it. Yeah, my, uh, my favorite, uh, recent favorite of mine, are uh, men who are bald, who have no hair on top, and yet grow mutton chops or a, a full beard. So it starts here, you know, where, you're, where your, your sideburns normally kind of stop. It yeah. starts and then grows down. That's my new favorite look. But for the movie, uh, we'll talk about that another time, but for the movies, it's uh, Clint Eastwood and the beard with no name. Now, have you ever had facial hair? No, I, I nothing much happens. This this uh, thing that I'm sporting right now is about as uh, elaborate uh, as the facial hair ever gets on me. Nothing grows right here. I have a little bald spot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Now, I've, I've never done it myself. I, I guess maybe one day I will, but it's something that I think I could grow here. Mm. But it's just I, I like the clean look. Um, I'm not someone who likes to shave. So I it, like it, it. If I had my way, I'd have a beard down to my waist because I hate shaving. But, uh, no, I've never Well, if that. we were to say, you know, uh, do one that was about the best shaving scenes, I think my favorite would have to be in Predator, where he takes a knife. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, naked, nothing, no no yeah. foam, just, right. and yeah. doing it for the purpose of trying to, to calm himself from his nerves. I thought that was a fantastic little mm. move that had been inserted into the movie. Right. Maybe and next think, week we'll do shaving scenes. Oh, we need beards this week. We'll do, yeah, maybe. And by all means, you know, uh, go to our website. You can vote on the different beards. Uh, and you can even give us, in fact, uh, you know, who, not just our beard choices, but perhaps the beards that uh, Richard and I are sporting right here and now. And by all means, if you know of a really crazy, wacky beard from the movies that we have obviously overlooked, by all means, uh, write in to our comment section, or you can just reach out to us through Richard's Facebook page or my Twitter feed and let us know what you think of the wildest uh, lip, uh, was it like lip carpets and screen catchers? And <laughs> in fact, I'd love to hear kind of the, the different uh, names that people have for facial hair. All right, well, thanks for uh, tuning in. This is episode four of Hey, All You Zombies. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week, probably on Tuesday. It's hard to know, uh, but uh, stay tuned. And uh, we'll come back next week, and I will have once again beaten Chris Abel at Movie Pistols at Dawn. Because obviously, my beard choice, way cooler. All right, goodbye. <laughs>